to another episode of the One Big Idea podcast. We are joined today by the co-founders of Dreams Never Die, Cole Ryan, Chad Hilliard. How are you both doing today? What's up, Austin? Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, doing great. Thank you, Austin. Stoked to be here. Yeah, no, I'm stoked to have you guys. Like we were chatting about before we went live, I had gotten introduced to Chad. Uh, I believe it was like over the summer. Cooper had put us into contact, and so you know I've been following what you guys have been building for a while, and you know you've been you've been in music way way before Web three, which is kind of where I want to start. Just like I was I was diving into your website, and it seems like Napster had like a pretty formative impact on how you think about like music and music discovery. Chad, why don't I start with you? What what has been the impact of Napster like in your in your career? I mean, prior to 1999, there, there really was no such thing as music discovery unless you were like one of those people that went to the record store and did a bunch of digging. I never did that because I was too broke. So when Napster first came out, it was just this whole new world opened up. You could just download albums, yes, illegally, from all corners of the world, but you could discover artists from Norway, Poland, Australia. And I was just like, what's going on here? And then like, You'd have that fun moment where you could show your friends this random song you found it, and it just really created this fun new music discovery adventure where you could you didn't have to wait for the radio to play new songs you didn't have to wait from your friends you could just go out and find it yourself and it really just transformed my life because i'm such a music fan and you know when growing up you had to go buy albums you know you had to wait for to hear the hit songs on the radio and it was just not conducive to really expanding your your listening palette and it just kind of really blew my mind in in, in that in that early stages and that's when cd burners first came out and that was amazing too like i had this old tower computer with a cd burner and i used to like write all the like i used to make mixes and i'd write on there so i just yeah i just come from the humble beginnings of clicking a mouse on the internet and downloading songs and here i am today yeah cole i'll ask you the uh, same question what impact did napster have on you early in in your career so I'm a little bit younger than Chad. Uh, I was, I think, uh, four whenever Napster came out. But uh, what it actually had a big impact down the line because I'm the product of music blogs. Uh, in middle school, I was going on mainly rap and hip hop music blogs, uh, and I lived in Pittsburgh, so you know I wasn't exposed to a lot of music in real life. Uh, and those early music blogs were super formative for me and. Uh, yeah, downloading music off the internet, uh, also illegally at the time. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, that, those were super formative years and actually brought me to to Chad and, and the start of our story of working together. Yeah, so oh, why don't that- you, you get into that? And I think the statute of limitations on illegally downloading music, you, sh- you should be fine. So I don't think the feds are going to come after you. But I would love to hear how you how you both got connected to, to start with. Yeah, so um, I started a blog in 2007 called Hilly Dilly, and basically it was just like a place for me to share all the artists I was coming across because I got tired of burning CDs. And then Cole sent me a cold email, I believe, in 2013. And according to Cole, I didn't re- I didn't even respond to his first email. So that, that's how I just got started. Then Cole just kind of, you know, I'll let him talk more about it. Basically, he's just like, I'm down with the music that you discovered. Let me help you out. And basically, I, after that, we would just be on Gchat every single day, sending music back and forth. I remember when albums would come out, like Drake's, if you're reading this, it's too late. 
Cole and I were just losing our mind. I'd always have Cole like write up these like panic, like first minute like reviews that were we're not like they weren't like full reviews, but we just needed to get it up fast because that was the music blog era back then. But yeah, we've we've really started from the bottom. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I was 16 years old, uh, just in high school and living the life of like a low key music journalist writing about brand new artists on Hilly Dilly and then watching their careers begin. Um, and yeah, I mean, Chad was like my main inspiration for for getting involved in the space because he was already running Hilly Dilly for, for six years before I showed up uh, and started working alongside him. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was just, I was obsessed with music blogs. I'd follow like 20, 30 every single day, discovering new artists in that early SoundCloud era. Uh, and that brought me to Hilly Dilly, which became my favorite blog uh, because of like the consistency of music that was shared. Um, there was no, there weren't articles, there wasn't clickbait. It was just this crazy guy on a mission to like share great music as much as possible. Uh, so I naturally wanted to be a part of that and uh, yeah, stuck around ever since. That's an awesome story. And Chad, maybe you can speak to you know, first the, the start of Hilly Dilly and then some of the artists that you you discovered and the the impact that you saw music curation could have on an artist's career. So the start of Hilly Dilly started on dot or it was blogspot.com. So it was like the very first blog platform. So it was grim back then. I mean, some of the logos we went through were absolutely atrocious, but Thankfully, a bunch of people came on board like Cole that really helped us build the website. But yeah, I mean, we we did discover a lot of um, pretty impactful artists during that period. Um, and part of our MO was just sifting through hundreds of songs every day. So we were, it wasn't like we were re- re- reinventing the wheel. We just listened through so much songs and we came across artists like Lord. Um, our biggest discovery that we got credited for was Bailey Alish Ocean Eyes. There was um, uh, one writer discovered Laney. Um, we posted Tom Mish first. We were super there early with Halsey. Uh, it, it, the list just goes on and on. And yeah, it was just a fun time because back then we, we were just, if you just sat on the computer and you sifted through hundreds of songs, you never knew when you were going to find a potential star. And that that is the funnest part about music discovery because you can sift through, you know, you can spend three or four days going through six hours of music and not find a single great song and then you come across um like for example when i discovered lord or royals from lord i was losing my mind on twitter and there's kind of a long backstory about how that rolled out but basically they put it like her label put it out as a soft release and we didn't discover it for three months after that and prior to that there was nothing going on and then we posted it i was losing my mind about it we sent it to pigeon and planes john tanners wrote about it and i went crazy from there so there's just so many like cool stories about that like Dominic Fike was another situation where we're behind the scenes working or trying. Eh, I mean, that's another story, but yeah, lots of music discovery is the best. Do you want to get into the Dominic Fike story? Now I'm curious. Uh, I mean, so one, one writer was writing for Hilly Dilly. He sent us Dominic Fike over and we lost our minds because three nights was a, a smash. So at that time I was I was trying to I was trying to get in the label business and I was courting with Geffen Records because I wanted them to give me a JV deal. So I went in there and I showed them Dominic Fike and we, we were getting in. We, there was conversations, but it, it kind of fell through. And then during that time, I was also 
courting him. I was trying to get my other industry friends to, to sign him. I won't say their names, but basically it went into a signing frenzy. And because of, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things I can't really talk about. Like I'm sure I'll tell you in person, but yeah, for it, sure. It's not like we, we weren't that involved with, with uh, Dominic Fike, but we kind of, at that stage of our career, like we learned from the situation with, with Bailey Ash, like, you know, if we, if you want to sustain a career in music, you can't just blog post these amazing artists. Like you need to take a position, take a bet, either, you know, sign the master, put some money up or, or manage the talent. We were trying to do that with Dominic Fike. I mean, I don't think we had a chance, but we just basically got our friends involved and there was a crazy bidding war. And I think it ended up being 4 million. And at the time that was a pretty big deal for having yeah. no hits. No, that's a big, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that dovetails nicely into the next question I wanted to ask you both. What do you see as a sustainable model for music discovery and curation? Yeah, I think we've seen in the Web3 world, like there are ways that you can be noted to be early and compensated for being early or you know, being able to identify and discover acts uh, in ways that you, you couldn't previously. I wonder, you know, had you created hilly dilly in the web three era like how different would it look do you think that you there would have been opportunities for it to be more sustainable uh cole maybe i'll kick it over to you to, to hear your response yeah i mean that's actually something that we bring up a lot uh, and that was whenever web three kind of clicked for me personally at least was whenever i was learning about it uh and thinking about hilly dilly because we spent a long time trying to figure out how to monetize hilly, hilly dilly without uh like diluting the value of what we were doing um and then once i started to learn more about web3 uh and the potential of a lot of this tech i was like oh there were there could have been opportunities for how hilly dilly could have captured the community um had like a two-way value exchange we saw a lot of unhealthy uh, like industry behavior in the blog days where, you know, I mean, if you can't blame people, but people wanted to find things, be quiet about it, sign it and make it like they were the hero who like found them out of thin air whenever there were a lot of people on the ground doing this work just for fun, um, not necessarily getting credited for it. Um, like sound is introducing certain uh, mechanisms where curators can get a cut, uh, I think that also the timestamp of an NFT is really cool, you know? So let's say that like with Hilly Dilly, let's say every song was an NFT and it was minted on the day that we shared it and you picked it up on that day. Then you've got that timestamp like on the blockchain so that it's, everyone can see, you know, Austin was there first on Billie Eilish, like on the first day, uh, it's, it's on the blockchain, you know, you can't argue with it. Uh, I think that the, potential for you know services like this which are more cultural services uh the actual like value is hard to place a, a solid number on uh companies like that i think web3 can change uh like change the potential of of what those companies can actually do how they can monetize um how we could have brought everybody under a community under one umbrella, you know, all the artists and producers and industry people who were involved with Hilly Dilly. Uh, so whenever I saw this start to pop up, it was kind of a no brainer to, to get more and more interested, more and more involved. Uh, but the, the problem of scaling curation is something that Chad and I discuss a lot. And, uh, 
I think it's something that is yet to shake out for sure. Yeah, Chad, any, anything to add to that? You know, if you were to go back in time and the Web3 tools were available to you at the start of Hilly Dilly, like, do you think you could have made that model work? Like, or, or how do you see it developing in this day and age? I mean, curation scaling is, is a very nuanced discussion. I mean, I think it's, I'm still a firm believer that the, the best scale, the way to scale what you're good at, if you're a music discovery person is either sign the talent or work for it. I think um, hoping to scale curation is very difficult because the average person, I believe, doesn't really listen to music as much as we think they do. More people are obsessed with the celebrity factor of the artist. I mean, obviously there's going to be niche pockets of the world where, you know, maybe there's a thousand or 10,000 people that actually care about the music. But I think, I, I think it's like a, a, a side thing for, for most people that want to find a career um, in web three. So I don't know how that would have fixed Hilly Dilly. I know for sure that we would have dropped like every time you do a post, it's, you know, a 24 hour open edition or, or maybe something like that. That's at least, you know, the pay the server bills. Um, but maybe dropping like an NFT membership project around it could be cool. I'm not sure. I mean, there's probably ways that we could have done it. But I mean, it, I, I just don't know how you create a lifestyle business or scale a company based off of curation alone without signing the masters or working with the artists. So, yeah, I see it. I agree. I think it, it remains a challenge. One avenue that I could see, and I mean, I mean, Coop effectively built an entire uh, you know business off of this was to be early and provably early, right? Like you have provenance to show you know, which artists you supported, like who who you took bets on early and often, and so that alone of like having that verifiable proof and being able to build a career off of that more in like the A and R route. I could definitely see, but but I'm I'm with you. Like the pure uh, discovery, curatory, editorial angle remains a challenge. You know, you could have people, whether that's like a paid subscription or something like that. You're you're then able to show verifiably that you, you continue to hit, and so people could like buy to get that access. Uh, and whether that looks like an NFT, a subscription, something like that, it's interesting to just think through how this will continue to develop because I. I think for a lot of us purists out there, we want to balance the human touch of curation and discovery with the ever increasing dark cloud of algorithmic playlisting and discovery and programming. And so I think that's inherently why a lot of people are also drawn to Web3, like this idea that it made you sit down with the music. Like you, it was like crate digging in a sense. Like you had to read, you had more context. It brought context back to every release. It had its own moment. It was very, it felt akin to the blog era in that sense of like every song had its own moment. Do you guys, do you feel similarly? Do you feel that like Web3 in a sense is like kind of made people sit with music a bit more? What has your experience been like? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's it's still too early in the days to kind of answer that question. I think a lot of the Web3 space right now is very speculatory. It's, you know, if you're in here early, you're at a big advantage. Um, yeah, I mean, Cole, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I definitely hope that that is what happens. Uh, and I hope it isn't just for consumers, but, or I mean, 
Uh, I feel like that's not even the word to use in the case of people who engage on the Web3 side of things, more like collectors, holders, whoever's getting involved on the fan side, uh, but also with artists themselves. Um, I mean, what we're seeing right now is uh, 100,000 songs being uploaded to Spotify every single day. We're seeing just way too much music coming out and way too much promotion for that music to the point where the the space is just so crowded. It's so oversaturated that even if as an artist, you put tons of effort into creating something incredible, meaningful that can connect with people, uh, it is so hard to get their attention and to retain it with the tools that are out there today that it's just not even worth the time or effort most of the time, you know, artists get discouraged. Um, and I think like hardcore music fans are starting to feel that way too. You know, it always ends up taking a little bit longer for the actual fans to feel the effects. Uh, but once that starts to happen, things start to change, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's something that like Chad said, it's a little bit too early to, to tell if that's going to be the case moving forward. But especially if you're an artist, you're spending a couple hundred dollars to mint something big, like a big project, you're going to want to feel confident in that. You're going to want to feel like that's something that you put a lot of time and effort into and that is going to actually connect with people. Uh, so that's definitely one of my hopes for this space is that it makes both fans and artists sit with their work a little bit more than they have been over the past few years. I love that as a hope. Let's, uh, Chad, you've brought up a couple of times the, how you guys transitioned into the creation of this, of a label. Like, I'd love to hear more about that decision of, of moving from the discovery model to actually going and, and taking these bets and, you know, signing artists. What was that experience like? How did you ultimately make that decision? And yeah, walk us through the, the life of the, the label, if you will. Yeah, I mean, so we had to keep the lights on. So running a music blog was just not doing that. And we saw what happened with Bailey Eilish. I mean, we posted up Ocean Eyes and she picked up management, a label. We're not saying that we had any part in like actually breaking her career. But at that time, when she posted her song on SoundCloud, there was nobody involved. So we could have taken a step and said, hey, let us help us out with your career and we can help break you. Um, and, and like basically my mentor came in and said, if you're not managing the artists or taking bets or sign the masters, don't expect any handouts. So we basically started Genes Never Die because we figured that if we don't figure out how to create sustainability for us to keep the lights on, we're not going to be able to keep doing this work that nobody else wants to do, which is sifting through hundreds of songs every day. So we started Genes Never Die to essentially keep our passion alive in the music business, keep the lights on figure out a way to create sustainability for these brand new artists because I, like there's basically put it this way every artist they're either a songwriter or a star very very few artists are actual stars most artists are songwriters the artists that we were mostly signing are songwriters making amazing music how can we figure out to create sustainability for them because not all, all these songwriters are going to go on tiktok and sing and dance and you know do all this stuff and we're not hating on tiktok i mean there's a lot of great things about it but not every artist has that pro proclivity to to work on that skill set so and and all and from this all the data and stuff like that and, and all the playlisting going from tiktok the music is suffering in my opinion so we're out here going to bat for these artists that just make amazing music because it's not like web3 is going to wave a magic wand where you just launch a token and then 
you know, it's all gravy from there. Like, no, you still got to put in the work, but at the bare minimum, you know, we should be looking into, into web three to like sustain our business. And basically I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah, that's, that's why we started dreams every night. Cause we're extremely bullish on uh, great music and also developing business talent as well, because we feel like a lot of the major label system and the, and the politics in those buildings is not conducive to the best talent in this business, getting ahead for various reasons. And that's, we want to like build a community, a culture of, of people that actually give a shit about the music because a lot of executives in music, they don't, they don't actually care about the music. They don't listen. They don't, they have zero sauce. They, you know, they're just people that collect a check every two weeks. I mean, we've all heard the horror story. So it's like, we have this dreams of is like, we have a duty to like fix the music industry. And it's, you know, we're not trying to think that we're going to change the world overnight, but you might as well figure out how to fix things in your little pocket of life. And that's why we're going to tokenize our community and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, we're excited about everything. Yeah. So maybe we go a little bit deeper into the learnings you had in developing the label and, and Cole, I'll kick it to you. Like what, what would the audience potentially be a little bit surprised about, about how the music industry operates? If they've listened to this show, they probably have some semblance of what a record label's role is, but how did you guys look to differentiate yourselves from you know, call it the major label system and, and the support that you tried to, to bring to artists in their careers? So, uh, we started Dreams Never Die Records in 2019, uh, and this was kind of on the tail end of, I would say, the music industry as Chad and I knew it, uh, as far as there being a space for really exciting new artists from day one who could put out a great song with a cool video, awesome artwork. Uh, there were like people ready to receive that content, uh, that music, those visuals. There were uh, curators who were really excited about that and they could share it with their uh, followers and people would find new artists and these artists would go on to begin their careers and you could form these boutique labels. And we saw it happen throughout the 2010s quite a bit. Um, at 2019, whenever we were starting this record label, we didn't really anticipate the shift that was going to occur in the music industry. Uh, you know, we saw things like TikTok pop up. Oh, how is this going to change things? We didn't really know at the time. Uh, and then, you know, as time progressed, we saw COVID happen and, and touring get wiped out. Oh, wow, this is a big change in the music industry. That's like half the revenue gone for artists. What do we do now? Um, we saw labels uh, stop signing and developing talent from early on and start signing data and uh, you know, just pouring gas on a fire rather than actually wanting to build artists' careers from the ground up. Um, so as we were trying to start this record label and do the things that we saw work throughout the 2010s, these problems were popping up and we saw just how hard it was to actually find sustainability as a record label. I mean, for context, we have over 60 million streams on our roster. Uh, we've signed 25 artists, released over 150 songs, and <clears throat> that alone is nowhere near sustainable for a record label. Not even close. You know, you have to be doing such high streaming numbers to even keep the lights on. Um, so that's the that's the truth of the music industry is that right now, if you're an artist who hasn't had a really lucky or sometimes earned, but oftentimes lucky break either on TikTok, 
getting a really big sink in a commercial. Uh, your dad isn't like, you know, the head of whatever. Uh, it's really hard for you out here. It's really, really hard for you out here. And it's only gone worse over the past few years. So that was the reality that hit us while we were forming this record label, releasing great music, getting streams, getting press, getting playlists. We were like, why isn't it, why isn't it helping? Why isn't it forming a sustainable company for us or for the artists? And uh, yeah, that's kind of what led us to, to where we are right now. So what I'm hearing through that experience as well is the realization that streaming is a scale game. And ultimately, you need to be, we need to be talking like hundreds of millions, if not billions of streams, you know, for an artist to make a sustainable career out of that. And not only that, but you look at the other opportunities to drive awareness and they really don't pay anything. Like tracks are breaking on TikTok. TikTok's not really paying anything. You look at uh, whether it's like IG Reels or anything like that. And then you couple it with the fact, like you mentioned, touring went completely away for artists for multiple years during COVID. And now that people are getting back on the road, it's significantly more expensive. And so I guess my question, maybe I'll start with you, Chad, as an independent artist or an artist that is like up and coming, what are your options for starting a career? If you don't have that scale already, how do you, how do you aim to develop as an artist? I mean, that's is such a big question. I mean, it's, Basically, I think the superpower for anybody that's putting out music these days is persistence and consistency. So it's not going to happen overnight. You just got to keep putting out music, keep grinding. I mean, you know, getting into Web3, jumping into Discords and networking with everybody, um, you know, sending your music to blogs isn't really that great anymore. Um, it, it's just so difficult. I mean, obviously, the music needs to be great. Um, yeah, it's 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 now it's more harder than ever to get your music heard. I mean, a hundred thousand songs are uploaded to Spotify a day. So you have to, it, it's tough. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's the, the music just really has to be elite. I mean, like if I was an up and coming artist that was still working on my craft, I mean, obviously keep going, keep working on it, but I'd look, I'd, I'd look at my sound and, and, look how it works in the marketplace and compare myself to other artists. I know that's like a taboo, but like if you're not making music that stands out, that connects with people, you're going to have a very hard time. Like if your music sounds like Drake or it's another derivative of something, you know, you really need to find your voice, your own sound and double down on that and never give up. I mean, it's even, it's difficult for art, for record labels to break brand new acts. I mean, major labels right now they're just on tiktok they're looking for stuff that already moves then they jump in they sign it they pour more gas on it but artist development has really died um and i think there really is no quick way to it like you have to look at it between like five to ten years because that's how long it really takes i mean it used to be getting on the road was the best way to break an act but that is extremely expensive right now so I mean, there really is no fix for it and it's really different for every artist. But I mean, the most important thing that I preach with artists is just maintain your mental health, have a North Star to create a lifestyle business and just keep building brick by brick. Because at the end of the day, if you're creating a lifestyle business for yourself and you don't have to work a part time job, that's that's a major blessing. Because, again, most artists are just songwriters and very few are stars. So you got to really know who you are, where you are. And yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't know how to give artists advice on that other than just to figure out who they are because it's going to be tough out there. Uh, like I describe working in music as like getting punched in the teeth every single day, realizing that most people don't care about your music and they're not paying attention. I mean, we, we're living in the attention economy right now. We're competing with movies and all the other things that are online to take our attention. And, and music is sometimes, you know, we're consuming it passively and sometimes, you know, people just aren't that interested into it. So again, if you're working in music, good luck to you. But if, if you stick with it, it's the best industry in the world because the people that stick around are, are some of the greatest people I never know. Maybe that's biased, but yeah. Can you say a bit more about what it means to build a lifestyle business as an artist? What, what would that look like as a career? Um, I'll just quickly say something cool. So it, it's just kind of like building income brick by brick. So maybe you put out one EP and it has a million streams. So that's a couple, a thousand bucks. Uh, it starts doing 5,000 streams a day. You put out more records and you start building your catalog kind of like what russ does or did like he just kept putting out music so if you kill if you keep building a catalog and you catch a hit and then the streaming numbers goes up that's money directly into your bank account every single month so a lifestyle business to me is just having your rent and food paid by streaming but also now we have web3 with nfts and that opens up a whole new door so that's yeah that, that that's what it is to me cole you have anything to add to that yeah, I would say that uh, a lifestyle business is something that uh, you've found your niche and you've found a way to find sustainability from that niche. Right now, the tools uh, are not really there, in my opinion, for artists to really form lifestyle businesses on a mass scale, um, even though I think that that's probably the good version of the future of the industry, uh, in my opinion. So that's why we're here in Web3, looking for new ways, looking at artists who are starting to do that, um, who have a foundation of a thousand actual fans who are going to be there to buy their music NFTs, um, buy their merch, um, support their releases, you know. So I think that, uh, like Chad said, it's harder now than probably ever to get heard to break through because there's so much noise but the power is in every artist's hands right now. Um, so my best advice is uh, try different things, see what sticks for you, see what feels right for you also, and then double down on those things. You know, if, if you release a music NFT, it goes well, it feels good, you like the community, double down on that, you know, do more of that. Don't do something else because there's too much for you to do already as a new artist. Like, if you want to check all the boxes, you can't. Like even if you don't have a, another job or whatever, it's just not going to happen. There's there's too much on an artist's shoulders. So you have to figure out what that thing is that clicks for you, clicks for your fans. Uh, and it might take a year, it might take three years, um, but you just have to keep going and, and have a long term mentality. Not let the small losses bring you down, uh, which is something that we've seen a lot of with brand new artists who their third song will like not get a playlist. Oh no, it's over for me. My career's done. Like, no, you gotta be thinking about your hundredth song. You know, you gotta keep going uh, and look at your career as a long-term thing uh, and not just like a, a playlist one day or even a sellout on an NFT platform one day, you know? Yeah, I, I think about it in three buckets, experimentation and being open to trying 
new verticals and seeing what sticks and uh, putting yourself out there. I think about it in terms of sustainability. And so you're trying to make a career for the long haul. Like it's not about doing something that's going to be a cash grab or burning yourself out by just like going way, way too hard uh, and sprinting all the time and recognizing that you're trying to, to build it out. And then, you know, the third one is just staying in the game. I think ultimately that's, that's what it is like being able to compound your wins and, and Chad, it's to what you said earlier. Like this is a brick by brick business. There are no overnight successes, even if it looks like it from the outside, like there's a lot of hard work that, that came up into that point. You both have brought up this emergence into web three. And so we can use this as kind of a shift to talk more about what you guys are doing now, but how did you initially come into web three? What were both of your experiences? And then we can, we can talk a bit more about what's coming up with the, the founders pass and the community that you're building. So for, for me, it was the one and only Koopa Chupa. He, uh, he got us on a zoom and basically shilled us on music NFTs and NFTs in general. I was like, okay, okay. This seems to make sense. And then I started doing the deep dive and I just kind of like, I was like, okay, this is, this is a way out of the current financial system because it's, it's, it's a pretty much a disaster right now. And that was, I got extremely bullish about that. I was pretty mad that none of my friends actually shilled me on Bitcoin or Ethereum back when I lived in Canada. I don't know what kind of friend group I had there, but I like I didn't get into it till 2021. So I'm just like super late to the game. But I mean, I, I went down the rabbit hole really fast. I was like, I remember the the weekend after Cooper shilled me on, I was just watching YouTube videos and I was like playing around with DeFi, which was like an absolute waste of money. But yeah, it's all this stuff is I, I'm kind of like a nerd to some degree. And I just thought this all this stuff was super cool. And I just really did a deep dive in it. And then I started thinking, oh, we can apply this to our record level because we've created this 15 year story where so much of, uh, of the, the people in web three are really skeptical of people that are coming into it, where it's like, we have this rock solid story where we're not here to create a rug. We're not here to, to screw over artists. Like we're just real fans of the music and we want great music to be heard by as many people as possible. So that to me encapsulated with crypto just got me really gassed on everything. Cool. Uh, Chad was my entry into crypto. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't even, I didn't actually have the best, uh, like crypto didn't have the best connotation to me before. Cause some of the people who I knew, I was like, oh, they only care about money. They don't care about anything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then Chad was like, no, you got to look at this. This is interesting. And then I kind of quickly changed from not caring to caring a lot. Once I started learning, uh, how it actually worked. Um, got past the layer of of just being totally overwhelmed by the space as a whole and all of the concepts. Uh, and it, to me, I looked at it and I was like, okay, we kind of live in an internet hell right now in some ways where, you know, I'm confined to why, why is there this massive internet with all these websites and all this information, but I feel like I'm only seeing the tiniest part of it. I'm only having algorithms throw things at me. And then I started learning about what uh, is happening in Web3, what's happening with NFTs, what like crypto blockchain is actually capable of doing. And it totally uh, gave me an idea of what a better version of the internet could look like as a consumer. So that was my big, oh yeah, uh, I'm in on this moment. 
So then, Chad, I'll kick it to you. What was the evolution of Dreams Never Die into Web3 and thinking through really evolving the company or evolving the record label into a into a company and a community? Yeah, so it started out that we were going to turn it into a DAO and drop a token. Um, but that really didn't come to fruition because people advise us, like, you know, don't drop a token until you have enough of a fever pitch where people care about what you're doing. So basically it was just, we, we just put out a blog post saying that we wanted to enter the space and we didn't really have much of a roadmap or much of a plan. I mean, we fired up a discord. We're like, okay, we took great, we took a lot of our inspiration from FWB because I was a member before I started turning uh, Jesus Never Die into a, like a tokenized hour, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, we just kind of winged it. We started doing weekly chats and just got people in there. We started kind of laying out our plan as what we wanted to do. And during this process, Polychain was talking to us and they eventually invested 3 million into our seed round. So we were just like blown away. So, it, and that was last year. So since then we've just been, you know, building the community, really providing value, jumping in spaces, buying other people's NFTs, learning the space as much as possible to where we're at now, where we're finally dropping our founders pass and we feel like it's kind of like the right moment for everything. But yeah, I mean, we're just trying to get, we're just trying to get a group of aligned people that care about these artists, that care about new music, that want it, that instead of complaining about it, just want to do something about it. I mean, it's a really a simple precedent. I think a lot of things that we're going to build after the fact is going to come for that motivation. And again, a lot of the community that we've built is just by getting people in our Discord simply on a weekly chat and then just we talk about what we worked on the pain of working in music the funny things that happen and really it's just a simple community of camaraderie where it's like we're tired of how things are so let's fix it it's like the new counterculture aligned with a token i mean we just got a house in los angeles we're all working here now like we're we're hugely blessed we have this amazing courtyard with a bunch of couches we have dinners now so it's like we're actually like really bullish on building culture and like making it a people first business. Like, yes, there's a discord, but I really think uh, like tokenized communities and music is really going to be powerful because we no longer look for outside sources to approve of what we're doing. We no longer go Spotify, please play us my song. It's no, we know this music is great. We have this community behind us. We have the lifestyle business on our back. And if we find artists within our community that we discover, we can scale them into global stars. So it's like the best of both worlds because it's so important for us to make maintain that foundation of like proper mental health where we're not looking for outside sources to validate what we're doing. And I really think uh, a tokenized community is the way out. Cole, I'll kick it to you. What do you see as the output of Dreams Never Die, the company? Like in these conversations that you're having, who are the type of individuals that are joining the community and, and ultimately like what do you hope that they all receive and they are able to deliver out into the world? Yeah. So the cool thing about that is that it uh, changes a lot based on who that individual is. And there isn't really any one answer. There isn't any one dreams never die community member or person. Uh, I would say like the uniting factor is you love music, you live and breathe it. And you specifically love like great music. You know, you have a, uh, you strive to, you know, surround yourself with amazing music. You're excited about the next great thing to come out. 
um, whether you're an artist, a producer, a fan, someone who wants to work in the industry, um, all of those people fit into the dreams never die umbrella. If you hate music, it's probably not the place for you. But if you love it in any capacity, uh, there's definitely a, a way to get something out of being involved in Dreams Never Die. Um, and that's the main message that we're trying to send is personally, as a music fan, like a lifelong diehard music fan, I felt like I had nowhere to go on the internet to be around people like me. And I even saw music blogs become hyper competitive. They wouldn't share. Okay, uh, I guess this is maybe not valid uh they wouldn't share artists just because other blogs are sharing them you know it, it became this competitive environment which felt toxic and unhealthy and almost like possessive uh in certain ways and i hated that it was like sucking the life out of it to the point where i was kind of done with it as a whole and then we look at web3 and there's an opportunity to buy into projects that are cool that you think something cool is happening so instead of being mad about someone else doing something great uh you can join them you know you can get involved you can buy the token get in the community uh talk to them talk to the artists listen to the music early uh talk to other people in that community who have the same interests uh and that's really what we're doing with dreams never die um i would say that like going a little bit more into the weeds uh if you're someone who's a music discoverer even just in a casual capacity or in a more serious capacity and it's something that you you do regularly and really are passionate about um we have a community of scouts who find music send it to us uh we listen to it we either share it on our blog before the data or we reach out to it uh, for dreams never die consideration whenever that happens you get compensated as a scout you get points um the song gets shared with the scout community uh so that you're, you're surrounded by that positive community of people who love music as much as you do want to share it uh want to talk about it and want to hear more of it all the time uh so that's just one example of, of someone who can come into dreams never die get involved uh and get some value out of it so i guess uh chad i'll kick it over to you what what is the business model here and how would what gives you confidence that it will be more sustainable than you know the discovery model from before and the the record label like what where does your uh passion drive you to in terms of developing a, a model in in this space well i mean so i think a lot of secondary royalties are going to be a big part of our business whether it's through the artists that we sign our own NFT project, uh, building our catalog, continuing to take bets on brand new artists. We're also in the process of bringing on um, a partner into our company who has major label experience. And we're going to be getting aggressive this year. We're going to be going after, we want to sign some hits. So we, we intend to sign hits and scale global artists, get money into the company and continue to reinvest into these brand new artists. So it's like, we're a company that wants to take care of its community, wants to sign and develop these artists and get them into get them into Web3, get them into springboard them into the music industry, music, music industry as a whole. And the ones that we identify with that align with our company, we do long-term deals with them. And there's a whole bunch of different ways that we do deals with artists, whatever makes sense at the time for the artists. 
but yeah, we're extremely bullish on signing and, and, and blowing these artists up the ones that do make sense. For example, we discovered our artist Slowjack on the roster with like basically one demo we found on this website called Triple J on Earth. We reach out to him, we sign him to a five single deal. Um, basically just kind of like a trial period where we put all five singles together and after that he can leave the label or he can stay with us. Um, and basically the, the relationship was so great to start that we were extremely excited about Slowjack because he's just a great kid that it's like, okay, let's let's keep working together. So basically we partnered and started an LLC together. It's kind of like the business plan of what Ty Biden and Brent Fayez did, where it's like, you know, instead of, because the manager is not gonna invest in the business, very rarely does it happen. So if we're gonna invest into the Slowjack business, we're gonna need X amount of masters coming back because we need to have a piece of the asset for us to justify the, the spend up front. So it's like, Okay, so maybe there's a different play here because we're both starting on day one. So let's become business partners. So now we don't have to sign the masters. We don't have to, you know, take a 20% cut from the management where, you know, it, it's a very flimsy non, it's it's a very, the, being a manager with an artist, is a, it's not exactly the best situation for a manager when you're investing in day one and you want to invest money in. So this leaves a lot doing LLC deals with artists leaves a lot of room to to get creative, especially with Slowjack being in Web three. You know, you could take on capital and, and invest it that way, or you could just do licensing deals where you don't give up equity. So there's just a whole bunch of different cool new threads we can pull on to really figure out what fairness is for artists, because like not every artist is is going to be a global star, or they don't want to scale their their business huge, so they don't need an adjustment ingest or capital ingested so it's 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 really just whatever makes sense yeah i would say that uh in like the simplest terms uh dreams never die is an artist company and a music community uh both sides of that fuel each other and kind of seep into each other so say that we have an artist that we develop we put out uh they're doing numbers they're getting fans they're bringing money back to the actual company uh, that's going to raise the morale of the community, give more value to the community. The community will be excited about having an artist to rally around, uh, hear early demos from, hear directly from. Um, and the bigger that community gets, the more power it has to break the next new artist who we have on our roster. Um, so we view it as you know a bit of a positive feedback loop where they both fuel each other. Uh, and you know having a diversified business model where there can be value brought in from the community there can be value brought in from the artists uh, and just from the brand itself uh, we think is the way for us to at least get number one to a to a lifestyle business level and then uh, beyond that as time progresses and now leading up to the founders pass which i believe is minting next week right on the 15th is that correct yes sir on the 15th. Cool. So Cole, why don't you give us a breakdown of, of what the Founders Pass is, how many are available for Mint, how people mint it, uh, and what they should be. Who Who is the right fit for minting one of these passes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you love music, if you're passionate about it, if you like our mission, uh, we encourage you to mint one of these and have one of these in your wallet. We think that more than anything, the point of having this is to align yourself with us and what we're doing and our mission. 
Um, beyond that, you know, there's a bunch of ways that it can benefit you, especially if you're interested in the Web3 music space. Um, as far as the details, there are a thousand of these. We wanted to keep it a relatively small number so that we can, uh, you know, just start to build this core community before, you know, opening it up to way too many people and making it a bit of a mess. Um, uh, we're going to have an allow list uh, and then a public mint. Um, everyone who has a, a one big idea uh, at FTs on the allow Shout list. Out. So you don't even have to do anything. You just have to show up. Uh, we've partnered with OpenSea on this drop. So we're on their upcoming drops page. And uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited for it to go live. We, we think that the art is really exciting. Uh, we have done a ton of fun promotional assets around the the actual uh, founder passed like a three minute animated video that tells our story. Um, so yeah, we've been, we've been using it as an opportunity to really, you know, dig into our story, our background and what the community is doing right now. Um, that founder pass is going to be essentially the point of entry into dreams never die. So having one of these founder passes is how you can actually get involved in what we're doing. It's how you can get involved in our scouts program. It's how you can come to our weekly calls every Friday. It's how you'll be able to hear demos from our artists, uh, talk to the artists themselves, uh, come to, you know, we plan to host educational calls. Uh, we plan to give feedback to people on their music. Um, and also we have uh, some exciting uh, IRL events coming up as well. The first of which is in New York, uh, NFT NYC on April 12th. So if you hold a pass, we haven't actually formally announced this yet, but <clears throat> if you hold a pass, there will be uh, like an exclusive dinner party for pass holders. And yeah, so we're really going to find ways for pass holders to, to uh, feel like they're getting a lot of value out of being part of the community um, through a lot of different avenues. Uh, Chad, I don't know if I missed anything there, but uh, that, yeah that's the main stuff yeah i mean i guess the high level the best way to put it is like imagine you could be there for in the community like when jimmy Iovine started interscope or you know rick rubin started def jam or the birth of XL recordings obviously i'm not saying we're on that level of those labels that would be amazing and we're striving to get there but it's just like you know if you're an artist you maybe you want to be in that community to like pick people's brains get their music heard get feedback if you're a music business talent, you can get in, you get your foot in the door. Like it's so hard. I remember going up trying to get internships and I got turned down everywhere. Now it's much easier with, you know, I mean, yes, the point of entry is going to be a token, but eventually we're going to have scholarship programs where, you know, people can apply, we can onboard them. And, you know, if you're the right kind of individual, we will upgrade you, so to speak, into our ecosystem, whether that's becoming an A&R. Uh, you just have to have the right kind of, work ethic and mentality to work with artists and not everybody's built for that, but for individuals that are excited about what we're doing, because we do intend to, to sign and develop talent that scales globally. I mean, our, our track record has spoken for itself. I mean, our pitch is like, what happens when we find the next Bailey Alish? Don't, and, and imagine being in there in the weekly chat and she's hanging out. I mean, Slow Jack's doing that uh, with us right now. We're an extremely bullish on him. And again, there's on-ramps for A&Rs to get involved, scouts. I mean, even if you're just a fan of the music, I mean, again, if it, 
it is, as a as a kid growing up, this would all be super exciting to me. So that's that's basically our pitch. Did do we just lose Cole? Amazing. It looks like we lost Cole for a second, but hopefully he's able to Run. to join us as we wrap up at the top of the hour. So Chad, uh, this has been great. Really appreciate you jumping on. We ask everyone before the end of every show what their one big idea is. So this could be a theme that you want the audience to take away, something that we talked about. Um, yeah, what one idea that you would like to leave the audience with? Yeah, so I touched on this earlier. Uh, I think that the one thing we can all lean into if you have any kind of skill set or talent is persistence and consistency. So that's how I built my career because I have very little talents, to be honest. Like, I don't make music. You know, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada. I didn't have a music family, but I found my passion and I just dug deep into it. And I knew that if I did it every single day and never gave up and thought about things in decades, that I could succeed because most people give up on things. So if you can figure out what you're good at in life and you have a passion, you have something inside you that says, I need to get this out to the world. Don't ever give up. Just keep building and building and building. Because someone like me, I mean, I'm not trying to underplay my skill set as a human being, but I didn't grow up as the best academically smart person. Like, I just know exactly what I like, how to. Basically, I just it's it's kind of like what Rick Rubin said on that sixty seconds interview. I mean, every time I say it, it's, I'm I'm going to be ruined for the rest of my life because people are going to say, "Well, that's just Rick Rubin saying that," but literally, that's that's all I'm good at. I just know exactly what I like. And I, I just stuck to the principles of persistence and consistency and doing great work and, and just, yeah, making your dreams a reality. Yeah, and well, it's I, think I know it sounds cliche, but yeah. Oh, what's looks like Cole, Cole dropped again, but Chad, this has been great. Uh, please, please give Cole my, my best and, and thank you as well. But this has been a phenomenal hour. We're going to have to have you guys back on. I want to see where you guys are a year from now with the founders pass and everything that you're looking to build. So thanks again so much for joining for everyone at home. This has been another episode of one big idea and we will catch you next time. All right. Thanks. Make three, four plays.